time for the Retirement Roadmap Podcast with registered financial consultant, Glenn Mosseller. Welcome to another edition of the Retirement Roadmap Podcast. Walter Storholt here alongside Glenn Mosseller, registered financial consultant and the founder and president of Roadmap Financial Consulting with an office in Greensboro on Muir's Chapel Road. You can find us online at roadmapfinancial.com. Glenn, ready for another great show today? Absolutely, Walter. Let's get on it. We're going to uh, take things from a little bit different approach. You know, we often talk about on this show the best ways to plan for retirement and that kind of thing. Today, we're going to talk about kind of bad ways to plan for retirement by looking at some obsolete retirement planning ideas. And I think just like your iPhone or your computer, you know, they need to be replaced at times. They get outdated, um, especially, you know, technology these days. Glenn, I don't know about you, but you buy a phone or a, a TV screen or something and it's like obsolete within, you know, a year and some new technology is replacing it already. Luckily, retirement hasn't changed that drastically and quickly over time, but it certainly has changed. And that's why sometimes our old ideas of retirement and finances do need to be replaced. So we're going to talk about some possibly outdated ideas that people still cling to and plan around and base their decisions on. And I'm hoping you can lead us here in the discussion of these, Glenn, of why they might be outdated and why we need to be careful when creating our plans around these things. Uh, the first one is very popular, I think. I still hear a lot of people talk about the 4% rule. Some kind of totally dismiss it these days. Others just put it in a little bit different context. Can you tell us what that is to familiarize ourselves with that rule? And why might that be on the outdated list? Sure, Walter. So the 4% rule, um, the, you know, the idea there is, you know, you reach the age of 65 or, you know, when you're, when you're getting ready to retire. And the, the theory is or was that, you know, at that point, you should be able to take out 4% of your, of your account value, like your retirement, like your IRA, 401k withdraw 4% out and then each year going forward you know you 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 add a 3% inflation factor to that original 4% each year and you know to keep up with inflation and the idea is is that that withdrawal should last you through your life expectancy and so that was um you know that's the that's the basic idea behind it Walter all right. So, and is that a big problem? You think if you're trying to base your portfolio around that kind of idea, your withdrawal strategy, where are the where are the holes in that plan? Well, so several things. Number one, Walter, is the four percent rule um, was created back in the '90s, and as everybody, I think, if, if you kind of go back in your memory banks, and you know, not everybody is necessarily you know completely focused in on what the markets were in the '90s and so forth, but I think everybody realizes that interest rates were significantly higher back in the 90s. And so that was one of the big pieces of that puzzle was, is that, you know, you might be able to, to kind of create a portfolio that has maybe more bonds in it, that, that, that it's going to have some, you know, more yield. And then you'd be able to, you know, to take out that, you know, that 4%. And over time, it would, it, you know, it would work itself out. Couple things. Obviously, number one, our interest rates have you know plummeted since you know back in the you know the mid '90s, and you know we're at this point we're we're almost at zero interest rates, and and so that that creates an issue. The other thing is is that if you go back to what the life expectancy was back in the '90s, you know we're here, you know 20, 25 years later, you know well life expectancy is you know a fair amount you know longer than it was then, so. The soundness of it, you know, it used to be more sound. However, the the challenge is, is that it should last you through life expectancy. And it's like, well, you know, should is, you know, is like, well, you know, you, do you want something that should happen or is going to happen for sure? You know, right. Uh, you know, that's number one. And what, what happens if you live beyond life expectancy? 
you know, the the idea, you know, behind that four percent rule, you know, it wasn't it wasn't perfect before, even when it was created. It was it was it had more, you know, I guess it was more of a solid, you know, basis for it back then. But it still wasn't a perfect, you know, all in every time it would always work. But you know, now it's 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 a little less reliable. You know, I mean, if we look at you know where where uh, interest rates are today, it's probably more you know, of around a two and a half to maybe three percent you know, rule of being able to withdraw money out. And that's, you know, that's obviously a significant difference between, you know, that and, you know, and now. So it's, it's you got to be careful when, when folks start talking about the 4% rule. The idea is, is we want to find what is a withdrawal rate that is doable. And, you know, is your portfolio structured so that that whatever, whatever, you know, your withdrawal rate is, is it, is it going to last? Is it built to last? And will it be there, you know, obviously when you need it, you know, you know, later on in retirement? So for some people, it's the 4% rule. For others, it becomes the 3% rule or the 5% rule. <laughs> Lots of little nuances with that one, and that's why it's not such a hard and fast rule these days. Good to know. The 4% rule, a little bit of an outdated rule and retirement planning idea there. What about the 10-5-3 rule, Glenn? What is that, and is it outdated? So, well, again, the idea is was there, you know, using these numbers, you know, the 10 5, 3. So, the idea is, is that, you know, if you could possibly expect a 10% return from your stocks, a 5% return from your bonds, and then the money that you had in cash would return 3%. And then, you know, if, if you had your money, you know, allocated properly in your retirement portfolio, you know, if those things, you know, held, the idea is, is that you would be fine throughout retirement. Well, Obviously, you know, we, you know, we, we look at those and, you know, it, it, uh, there are years where the stock market does 10% or possibly more, but, you know, with all the volatility, I mean, if you look at, even you look at the last, you know, the last decade or so, I mean, that, or the last 20 years, that really hasn't played out so much. You know, there's been exceptions to that where you've had an explosive market to the upside, but there's been a lot of churnings, you know, sideways, you know, through time. And so that's, that's not really been, you know, a, a consistent thing. Obviously, you know, interest rates on bonds are nowhere close to, you know, a, you know, something that you could be, re, you know, relying on, you know, in a, in, you know, in a 5%, you know, idea. And certainly there are some bonds that you can get that are, you know, that, that would be in that neighborhood or possibly higher. But again, I mean, if you're going to diversify, it's going to be very challenging. But then when you put all three of these ideas together, you're certainly not getting 3% on your, on your cash. I mean, you know, you go to any, any bank or credit union or, or any, any kind of a scenario, money market or, or you know, CD or anything like that, you're not getting anywhere close to a 3% uh, you know, rate of return on that. So it's, again, it's, it's not really something that you can really rely on at this point. Great points, Glenn. That's the ten five three rule. Now, this next one, Glenn, is an obsolete retirement planning idea, and it's definitely like an, an old reliable one, and that's the uh, move from stocks to bonds as you get older. I mean, that's been the mentality for many, many years. As you, as you get older, move from stocks to bonds, and you're all set for retirement. Right. Like anything else, Walter, you have to take it with, you know, with a grain of salt. I mean, that's not that, that it's, you know, completely, you know, outrageous to think that you may have some bonds in your portfolio as you get older. You know, the idea is, is that, you know, typically that um, at least historically over the last decades, the, the idea of bonds being less volatile and having some yield and those kinds of things, you know, where it was the thought behind that. The challenge, obviously, is, is that there's this in, inverse relationship with bond yields and bond prices. And so I know that, that we, we might be getting a little bit into the woods a little bit here or into the weeds, so to speak, I know when, when we start talking about those terms. But let me try to make it as easy as I can. 
is let's just let's imagine for a moment that you had a 4% bond, that you bought this bond and it was going to pay you 4% until it reached maturity. Okay. And so you buy it, you know, it, it pays you the 4%, you wait and it pays you another 4% the following year. And over time you're there. But let's say for instance, though, that for whatever reason, either you want to, or you have to, you need to s sell that bond and, you know, and liquidate it for cash, you know, to, you know, just to not wait for the yield to come in over, over for, you know, until maturity. Well, if interest rates go down, in that scenario, and you're in the bond that you're holding is 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 yielding or paying four percent, and interest rates drop. What does that mean to the price of the bond or the value of the bond that you now have? Well, if every investor that shows up in the marketplace is is now not able to get four, they maybe let's say that it's now at down to three. Well, if yours is paying four and anything that they can get in the marketplace that that's similar is going to pay three, yours is obviously more valuable than the ones that are in the marketplace today that are that are paying three. Does that make sense, Walter? Yep. So uh, they call that what an inverse relationship. That's, when a, one goes that's up. that inverse relationship. Okay. So if that in that scenario, if you went to sell that four percent bond in that marketplace, you'd actually be able to to you know have a gain because you would it would be priced in such a way that it would yield the next the next buyer three percent rather than the four, and you would pick up a gain. On the other hand, if interest rates went the other way, if interest rates began to rise, and let's say interest rates went to five, well, now we have that situation where yours is paying four, anybody that shows up in the marketplace can get five, and so now is your, your bond that's paying four, is it more valuable or less valuable than what's in the marketplace? And obviously the answer is, is that it's less valuable because anybody can now get five, and so you're going to have to price yours in such a way that it's going to yield the next person five. And so that means that you would have to take a loss. You with me? I'm with you. So when we start thinking about, you know, how, how big a role our bonds going to be playing, well, you know, interest rate environment, you know, is not, it doesn't tend to move really fast. And so it's not, it doesn't tend to be as volatile, you know, on the, on the big scale. On one hand, on the other hand, when you are close to zero, you know, in, in interest rates, then it, it makes it very difficult to have bonds be the safe haven that they once were. And so that kind of creates a scenario where that that whole idea becomes a little bit more challenging than it once was when we start thinking of you know, having a you know, real heavy bond portfolio when you're moving in towards retirement. Does that make sense? Makes a lot of sense, Glenn, and uh, a really good reason for why if you've kind of just thought, ah, oh, this is how, um, you know, maybe maybe a grandparent or mom or dad prepared for retirement, why that has changed over time. It's a totally different landscape. Got to understand that for sure. So uh, move from stocks to bonds as you get older. That's an obsolete retirement planning idea, at least to take it completely at face value. Uh, another one, Glenn, this is an obsolete idea, I think, as well. If we uh, get to the point of having a million dollars in our retirement, accounts, we're ready for retirement. That sort of just became the nebulous number that everybody was like, all right, yeah, uh, if I get to a million, how can I not be ready for retirement? So that's the goal. Well, it depends, right? And so this is one of those scenarios where it's like you you, you, know, you throw that thing out there and you say, okay, well, if you have a million dollars in your retirement accounts, you're ready for retirement. Well, again, it depends because we have to look at what other accounts or 
or um, streams of income do you have? You know, you know, do you have Social Security? Does your spouse have Social Security? Do, is there pensions involved? Do you have rental real estate? You know, what what is your overall situation in terms of cash flow and, and resources that can generate cash flow? And then the obvious other piece is, is that what are your lifestyle desires and needs, right? I mean, some people just naturally spend more by the lifestyle that they live. Others tend to spend less. And so the idea of having this one size fits all that, well, you want to have a million dollars in your retirement account and that makes you okay. And that also makes your neighbor okay and their neighbor okay. Well, that's not necessarily the case because everybody's situation is different. A million dollars might be the right number for some. It certainly is, but it's not necessarily the right number for everybody. Some people might need significantly more or at least a little bit more. Others might not need anywhere near that much. It just depends upon your situation. You know, what resources do you have? And again, what is what are what are your what are your lifestyle choices and your needs for you know to making sure that uh, that you can live the life that you want to have in retirement? Yep. So many people focus on that initial number, the savings side, which is good. I mean, we want to pay attention to our savings, but even more importantly, the spending side. And often that gets too overlooked. So great points there, Glenn. Last but not least, one more obsolete retirement planning idea that I think gets relied upon maybe a little bit too much, especially if it's not really accurate anymore, is this mentality that you'll need less income in retirement than you needed while you're working. And, um, you know, this one I think is a little controversial. Some people would still argue that this is not obsolete. Um, this may be one of those it depends or case-by-case basis things as well. Well, that's it. That's exactly right, Walter. It does depend, right? I mean, it, it kind of goes back to what we were just talking about in the last item was is that what are your lifestyle needs or what are your lifestyle desires? You know, what are your have-tos and what are your want-tos? There are folks that, um, the, you know, you, you may want to just retire and then, and then you know, take trips or do, you know, have more big expenditures, you know, than, than, you know, in the early years of retirement. And then maybe it scales back. Other folks, uh, their lifestyle is not going to really change that much. And sometimes, you know, folks will actually spend less. You know, they, they'll be on the road less. They, will, they won't, you know, they won't eat out as much, et cetera, et cetera. And some folks actually do have their, you know, the, the, the money that's going out the door, you know, d- you know decline. You know, the, their, their expenses go down and, they're, and they're, they're better off that way. Other times, that's not necessarily the case. And so, I, you know, we, we oftentimes have that conversation when I meet with folks. And one of the key questions I ask them is, is that, well, let me ask you this. You're still working and, you know, and, and everything is, you know, you're, you're getting ready for retirement. You're beginning to think about it and you're, you're trying to tell me that you're going to spend less in retirement, you know, and, and you're not going to need as much income. Tell me this. What, what, what days of the week do you spend the most money? And they stay pause for a little bit and they look at me and they say, well, what do you mean? And it's like, well, I mean, think about it. It's in your discretionary spending. What, what days of the week do you tend to spend more and do you, you, know, you go and do more things? And they say, oh, well, that's easy. That's you know, Saturday and Sunday. It's like, well, that's exactly right. Because why? You have more time and you are more likely to go do things that cost money and you're more likely to spend. Whereas during the week, if you work a regular Monday through Friday, you know, you're not you're not having the same opportunity to, you know, to spend because you're you're working, you're occupied and actually you're you're earning money and you're bringing money in versus, you know, versus, you know, having having time on your hands and then going out and doing the things that are more fun. And, you know, that, that might it might actually cost you, you know, have you spend money that, you know, instead of having money coming in, money is now going out. And then then the question then becomes, it's like, OK, well, now you've retired. You know, what's the difference between Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? versus Saturday and Sunday. Well, if you're if you're not working any longer, 
every day kind of seems like a weekend day. That's the kind of the idea of around retirement. And so there's at least the opportunity that you may end up spending more and sometimes significantly more, you know, in your retirement years than you might in than you know, certainly more than you might think you might. And because you you do a little here and you do a little there and you say, Oh, well, let's do this and it, it doesn't really cost us that much. And then you do something else and ah, that didn't cost so much either. But those things that didn't cost so much, they tend to add up and suddenly you find yourself spending more money than you than you thought you you, you know, come anywhere close to. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Thing. You just make sure that you are planning for that and that you have the resources and you've got an income plan that can sustain that. You with me, Walter? I'm with you. So do you see these kind of taking all these back into account, Glenn? Um, you know, the, the move from stocks to bonds, the 10.53, the 4% rule, all of these things we've discussed on the show today. If these are relatively obsolete, how often are you actually seeing people come in with financial plans based around these obsolete retirement planning ideas? And then, you know, how often you're having to kind of address those issues and, and fix those issues? I mean, is this a, a weekly basis you're seeing plans that are kind of built on this false premise? I wouldn't say, you know, all the time. I mean, I do see, obviously, you know, the 4% rule is, is, is relatively, you know, popular and, and that, that idea is out there a lot. And so sometimes you have to, you know, you have to delve into that one a little bit more. The 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 ten five three rule, I, I don't really see a lot of folks, you know, there because it's 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 so obvious that interest rates have dropped so much, and that you know that the that the stock market and the overall markets have just been more volatile and le- and less consistent, you know, over you know over a, a fairly long period of time. So you don't really see that one, you know, too much. The idea of 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 you know of of what bonds are and you know and 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 how they work and the idea of safety versus you know, and, and yield and those kinds of things. That's a conversation we have a lot because, you know, it's been, you know, people have really been conditioned to the idea that that would kind of be the thing. You know, you see a lot of times you'll see those 60-40 portfolios where folks, have, you know, they're, they're, get, they're trying to get ready for retirement. Maybe they've got an advisor or maybe they're, you know, they're, they're doing something within their, their 401k that has, you know, one of the, you know, the retirement year, you know, funds where it's like, okay, you know, you're going to, you know, you're going to retire in, you know, in, in 2020 or 2025. And, and then you, and you put your money into that and it's supposed to have, give you the right allocation of stocks and bonds and, and those kinds of things. We see that on a pretty regular basis. And so then we, you know, we really have to have that conversation about, well, what does that really mean? You know, is are our bonds as safe as you think they are? And are they going to yield the, you know, what you're going to need to have them yield in order to really make that work and have income, you know, coming in. So, you know, then a long answer to your question, Walter, I mean, it always depends upon the situation, obviously, but but it's a scenario where we really need to delve into it and, and, and have those conversations and, and see, well, you know, what things might be valid for, you know, for, for one person might not be valid for another. Um, sometimes the four percent rule potentially could work, you know, depending upon, you know, what if there's a you know pension in place, or you know, or you know, or the social security incomes, you know, could, particularly if they're combined, that you know, that they're at a certain place. Always depends upon a, a lot of different variables, but it's 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 always a question that you know we really need to sit down and let's look at your particulars and your situation, and and let's develop a plan that, that that's right for you rather than going off of these general rules. I mean, the general rules are kind of an, an an interesting place to start, but they, they're not normally where we finish. Well, that's helpful, Glenn, and uh, good to know how you walk people through the process, analyze, 
things like these obsolete retirement planning ideas and really put a financial plan under the microscope and make the needed adjustments when appropriate. So helpful to know how that process works a little bit. If you want to schedule a time to meet with Glenn to go over some of these kinds of things about your own financial plan and about retirement, dig into the nitty gritty of your plan and see where you have some improvements that could be made along the way, feel free to reach out. 336-291-3535 is the number. 336-291-3535. And always online at roadmapfinancial.com. That's roadmapfinancial.com. Click on the free consultation button at the bottom of the page and you can schedule a time right there from your smartphone or computer to have a chat. Glenn, thanks for all the time and the help on today's show. Appreciate it. And uh, we'll do it again next week. Fantastic, Walter. I look forward to it. Sounds great. That's Glenn Mosseller. I'm Walter Storholt. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next time on the Retirement Roadmap Podcast. 